to 2, which can be found on page 4. I'm going to be reading the whole of chapter 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rests from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Hivala where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are there. The name of the second river is the Gishon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. 
Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Thank you very much for reading. Please, um, let's keep that Bible open, and uh, let's pray. Loving Father, you who spoke the universe into being, uh, who caused the sun and the stars to be ordered, please speak into our lives, we pray, by your word now. Order our lives by your word as your Spirit applies it to our hearts, to our minds, that we may live your way in your world. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you again for the welcome. It's really lovely to be back uh, amongst you at Bishop Hangton to share the the Word of God this evening. Uh, Sue Perkins is probably best known for being uh, on the great British Bake Off. Um, She was also the... Uh, subject of uh, Kirsty Young's Desert Island Discs on uh, Radio 4 this week. Um, I confess I don't often listen to it, but I happen to be uh, uh, doing some unpacking and uh, quite enjoy it. Uh, she said something really interesting. When asked how she would face the idea of being on an island, uh, the idea is that the guests are sent off on an island on their own, she replied she felt pure terror. Pure terror because she said, my work is incredibly sociable. My entire reason for being is to connect with people and understand what makes them tick. Now, I think Sue Perkins is on to something, and onto something pretty big. Uh, she's a presenter, a comedian, uh, but she sees how important relationships are with those around her, which means life on a desert island would be terrible because no one else is there. Now, I doubt Sue Perkins realises it. She may even deny it. But she's describing something innate about what it is to be human. That we are made to serve in community. Sue Perkins has said her existence is wrapped up in mixing with others in such a way that she understands what makes them tick. Which means she's saying that she and they are more together than they are on their own. We are made to serve in community. And when we fall short, we're somehow not the people we're made to be. And the reason I can say this, uh, that it's something innate in what it is to be human, is because uh, this is exactly what God tells us in his word. Uh, The chapter that we've read this evening, Genesis chapter 2, page 4. Uh, If we've read Genesis 1 or or listened to last week's sermon on the website, we'll have seen that its teaching uh, is that God made the whole universe simply by speaking. Wow. And that he made mankind, male and female, in his image. We see that human beings are the pinnacle of all that God has made. Uh, And that's an even more wow. The message was, we're meant to worship God. So if chapter 1 has a cosmic view of creation, then chapter 2's views come right down to earth. Focus on one place, the garden the Lord has planted, a place called Eden. Now here's something we need to try and get our heads around, because it's uh, really important. Remember that chapter 1 tells us, God made human beings. That is there in verse 27. Have a look please, it's top of page 4. So God created, it's the little 27 at the top of page 4 on the left. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That means that together, men and women are absolutely equal in God's sight. We're utterly equal in God's sight, and so should consider 
every human being, young or old, weak or strong, black or white, as equal in God's sight. But now, in chapter 2, we're told the same thing, that God has made human beings, but we're told there's a difference between the the man and the woman. It's not a difference that makes one more important than the other. That can't be so, can it? Because we've just been told in chapter 1 that we're equal in God's sight. But uh, the man and the woman have different roles. Uh, Consider this, verse 7, the man is made first from the dust of the ground. It isn't until the end of the chapter that God makes the woman from the rib of a man. Of the man. Notice also how the Lord God then plants a garden in Eden and puts the man there to work it. We'll think about that in a moment. But but first it's the man whom God puts in Eden, uh, look at verse 15, to work it, to take care of it. It's then the man that the Lord God speaks directly to with instructions on how to live within the garden. Verses 16, verses 17. They're very important. You probably will come on to it next week. But, but we need to see this. This isn't some kind of coincidence. It, it, it's not that somehow God forgot um, to make the woman. Um, no, there is real order and clarity in everything that God does in these chapters. We've seen that beautifully in chapter 1, and we see it again now. He's made the universe with great care, and now he shapes the lives of the humans that he has made with equal care. We mustn't forget the equality men and women have before God. And nor should we forget the differences that there are. Those differences continue in the text because it's now the man who's given the authority to name all the animals. Just as God names different elements in the universe in chapter 1, so now the man, made in God's image, is to name the living creatures on earth. There is equality and difference. Now I think that means that three apologies are needed that the first apology uh, must be to say sorry to anyone here who's ever heard from a pulpit, from another Christian, any suggestion that somehow uh, women are inferior to men, men are superior to women in God's sight. I mean, that must be plain wrong, isn't it? The the text makes that clear. If If you've ever heard it, I'm sorry, because the Bible teaches men and women are absolutely equal in God's sight. This is once made that clear. The second apology is to anyone who's ever heard the suggestion that somehow some human beings are more or less important than others. That's going to be a debate that will become more and more significant in our church these days as we consider the value of human life. Some human beings are not more or important, less important than others. It's also plain, it can't be true. Because we are each made in the image of God. Male or female, young or old, unborn or on our deathbed, black or white. Every human being has infinite dignity. Because we've been made in God's image. 
And the third apology is to anyone who's been taught that the equality of male and female in God's sight means there's absolutely no difference between male and female. Because there is a difference. I hope you can see that here. There is a beautiful diversity in what God has created, just as there is equality and difference within the God who made them as Trinity. Which means I think we go against the way that God made us in his words when we deny it or distort it. Our challenge, and I know this is very real for all of us, our challenge is to live out the absolute equality of men and women in God's sight with the distinctions that were given in the Bible beginning with here in Genesis 2. And I will leave that to your leadership to work out with you. But remember, at this stage of creation, when everything is perfect, there is a beautiful equality and diversity within humanity. Let's think some more about what this human being has been made to do. A human being, remember, who's been made in the image of God, simply put, he's been made to serve. We've been made to serve. Actually, the word is uh, work. I guess you'll have spotted that, and you'll be going, serve, Carl? It says work, doesn't it? Verse 15. Um, Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. It doesn't say serve, does it? Take care of it. It picks up actually what God has been doing in chapter 1. God's work was to make uh, the universe. I'm so glad we had the beginning of this chapter read. You see, chapter 2, verse 2, seventh day, God has finished the work. So what does God do? He works. What does the man that God made in his image do? He works. Uh, So yes, humans have been made to work, but I'm still going to use the word serve uh, because I think the word work has got too many connotations uh, that I think are going to be confusing. Uh, let me put it this way. If I ask you, what do you do? Uh, what would you think of? Uh, well, many people uh, immediately start to think of a job that they get paid for. Uh, the shift that you're about to go on now, or the, the reason you'll set your alarm tomorrow morning. But our paid work is not the only work that we do. Uh, ask a mum if she works... And, um, well, of course, and often you don't get paid a penny. Ask a single dad, does he work? Boy, he'll have some answers for you for that. And some of it may well be paid, and most of it, I imagine, will not be. I met someone last week who's recently retired as a church minister. He explained how busy he was doing different things. He said how he was serving here, there and everywhere. And and then he just slipped in. Of course, I'm not paid for any of it. Um, Personally, I've had almost a year without having a paid job. I I learnt firsthand what a P45 is. I'd heard of it, but I'd never been given one. You get it when you lose your job. I hope you never get one. Uh, But I've been working this year. I've served in a whole variety of ways. So you say, work is that service, I think is a more helpful word for this. The work in verse 15 is actually part and parcel, look, with taking care of God's creation, of stewarding what God has given him, of serving God's way in God's world. You could say stewardship as well as service, instead of service. 
We've talked about the distinctions between human beings. They're real, which also means that each person is made to work as they're able. But the male and the female, we'll see, she's given as a helper. They, they are distinct. Each person is able to work as they are able. So, some are able to do certain things. Others aren't. That doesn't make one better than another. This doesn't make them more or less important in God's sight. We each do what we can. I've needed to remember that this past year because, um, I mean, frankly, our identity can so often be wrapped up in what we do, and especially our job. So when you, you lose your job or you retire or you have children, Many can lose their identity and they wonder what life is all about. But, and that's so sad. We are far more than our jobs. We need to treat each other as far more than our jobs. Let me say, we can serve in the weakness of a deathbed. Do you ask any Christian uh, who sat with someone as they're dying and see how they serve? We can serve in weakness because we follow a Lord Jesus who was weak in our place. How can we say this in practice? So I think it's quite important, isn't it? Identity is quite wrapped up in what we do. Well, how about this? Next time you meet someone, hold on, asking them what they do. Don't. Well, not for a long time. Take time to ask them, how about this? What do you enjoy doing? Who's in your life? What matters to you? Slightly more uh, unusual, uncomfortable questions, perhaps, because we're not used to it. People, the world likes to identify us by what we do. But we are far more than what we do. We are who we are. A couple more things to notice about this work that um, man has been given. First, it's got limits. God says he's free to eat anything from the garden except from one tree. There are limits to what we can do as humans because we are not God. It's not our garden. It's not for us to decide. It's God's garden and we are his creatures. Uh, If someone came round to your house, you may well say to them, make yourself at home, but you probably don't mean uh, that they should go upstairs and have a nap in your bed, do you? Well, it's God's world. We're to live in it in God's way. There are limits. Secondly, within these limits, though, this is tremendous. There are, there's wonderful freedom and authority. Just think about it. God has just made the universe. He's named the day and the night, the land, the sea. He's now, he's now given the man the authority to rule over the earth. And here particularly, to name the animals. So we're seeing that God has made human beings to serve. Now, consider the bit about community and why I think Sue Perkins is spotting something very real about humans. God has made us to serve in community. Let's think about this guy, Adam, the the, the man that God has made. He's there in uh, what might be considered the most perfect of circumstances. It's It's a garden, it's not a desert island, but... Think about it. He's got all the food in the world, except one tree. He's living in the midst of the most amazing beauty because 
He's in a garden landscaped by the creator of the universe. I mean, really, you don't get better than that. He's got the most wonderful collection of pets, all of whom come to him whenever he wants. Even the cats. Have you ever tried calling a cat? We lived here, actually. Um, we got some little kittens, and we, we lost them for a couple of days. I was calling everywhere. Do they come back? No. Every animal came to the man at his command, just as the universe was created at God's command. Adam's got everything. He's even got astounding quiet times, one-to-ones with God. But in spite of all of that, it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. Uh, The words that God says in verse 18, they're quite shocking if you think about it. You see what God said? It's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. Well, well, what's happening? You've just said everything's very good. It's not good. Well, everything in chapter 1 is very good after man has been made. Which means that whatever's happening in chapter 2, it must kind of fit in somewhere within chapter 1, verse 27. That the writer's not given us a chronology of events. It's not one week one God makes the universe, week two he then does man and woman. We, we can't read it that way. We don't know exactly because our writer's intention is not to give chronology but to explain what God has done and why. And what God has done is to say no man is an island. We are not made to be on our own. We were made for community to be a diverse community at that, which is why God makes a woman and not another man. So God makes the woman from uh, the man as his helper, uh, which does not mean that the woman is is made to be a servant or a slave or stay in the kitchen. Again, I, I need to say sorry if anyone's ever suggested that or communicated that. This word helper is... It's a most dignified word. It's used of God in Psalm 115 to say that he is our helper. It describes a co-worker. Here the woman is clearly equal but different. And the key distinction I want to draw out, the one that Sue Perkins spotted, is that human beings are made to serve in community with, with one another. We're not made to be on our own. We're not made to serve on our own. When we live, when we serve, it is good for there to be relationships. Now, some um, might have noticed that I've not touched on the subject of marriage, uh, which is so important for us to understand. I'm sorry, I haven't had time for that. But I want to make sure that we were first clear on the foundation principles of, of this chapter. So let me just say this. Just as we would be wrong to limit work, to what we do when we're paid, so we're wrong to think that marriage is the be-all and end-all of relationships. Yes, God is here establishing human marriage as between a man and a woman. That's clear. But it's not all. Because the Bible goes on, uh, as it does, we see that this is just a shadow of the marriage which is to come between Christ and his church. That's the relationship which humanity has been made for. 
and which the world is heading towards. That marriage, the relationship between human beings and our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's the relationship which gives, gives us the ultimate meaning and purpose and fulfilment, expressing what we are really made for. And here's the beautiful thing. God sent Jesus to bring us an even better relationship with him and with each other than even Adam and Eve had then. Because the relationship with him in Christ is so much more. Do you you see how Adam and Eve are described at the end of the chapter? They were both naked and they felt no shame. Naked without shame before God and before one another. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, that kind of makes me feel a little bit uneasy. Uh, to be naked means, you know, to be, to be wholly uncovered. To be so transparent that people see you for who you really are. Uh, not just physically, but uh, mentally, socially, emotionally, your, your thoughts, your soul, the whole, whole lot. And let's face it, that goes against the spirit of the day, doesn't it? The whole of our culture lives by putting people, uh, uh, by people putting an image on of who they really are. I'm not just talking about clothes, because it's far deeper than that. Uh, Facebook is, um, is great for finding out some things about people and, and what's going on, and it's quite good for communicating in different ways. But if you use it, you know it's not the real you, don't you? And when you see someone else's posts, whatever it is, you know that's not what's really going on. I mean, that's just a flash pan. Do you know, it's even true in churches. I I was at an interview uh, where someone, uh, quite honestly actually, remarked, commented, on the way that many thought of church, uh, they, they said, it's easy to be someone else for two hours a week. Is that the way you think of church? To be a place where you, you put on your Sunday best for a couple of hours, maybe, maybe your midweek best if you're part of a home group, but uh, what you do in the rest of your week is no one else's business. I need to tell you, that's not the family and community that Jesus calls us to. And the wonderful news about Jesus is that he not only promises us an eternal marriage with him in the future, but that he's died on the cross to take our shame. To take our shame so that we can be community together. Because in him, as we trust in him, we are community together. We are one body, just as the God that we know through Jesus is community. Three in one, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There on the cross, Jesus died for our sins. All that we've done, which causes us shame, he died to take it from us. He was made naked that we might be clothed, clothed with his righteousness, with his perfection. 
he was made sin, that he might take our shame, that, that we might approach God as, uh, the Bible word is justified, as treated as if we have no sin. Now, the New Testament is that pains to point out that those who trust in Jesus should have clear consciences before God, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. Well, that's you, that's me, that's whoever we are, if we run to Jesus and we take his hand and we let him walk us through this life into the next. Because that's the life that we were made to live. Lives before God and before one another, made to serve in community. In a community where where there is such love and forgiveness and acceptance, well, it doesn't mean that we're going to put on clothes, uh, take all our clothes off, I mean. But it means that we can mix with each other unashamed. Unashamed because Christ has my shame, and I have his righteousness, so that whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever struggles we have had, whatever struggles we continue to have, we know we are loved by God and secure in our relationship with him because of what he's done for us in Jesus. And if that's what we know personally, then let's make that our church, that the church might be a safe place to come for those who are walking about full of shame. And here they know there is forgiveness and acceptance. Not because we're nice people, but because we're forgiven people. People who are trusting the Jesus who has taken on shame. Let's pray. Loving Father, God of heaven and earth, we pray that you would speak to us and uh, we trust that as you have, so Lord, you would strengthen our hearts, our minds to serve you. Uh, Lord, where we know shame in our lives, we bring it to you and say thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking it from us. And where we as a church Uh, We pray that we would uh, be a church that would be safe for all to come. To run to the Lord Jesus and know the forgiveness and the acceptance that only he can truly provide. In his name we pray. Amen.